Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Operator Podcast. I'm your host, Robert J. O'Neill. Episode 26. 26 of these things now. Good. I'm glad you're back. Did you did you watch the uh, State of the Union? It was on uh, yesterday, actually. I watched it uh, a little bit. Caught the highlights. I love catching the highlights because I love to see what people are saying because it's uh, it's um, theater, basically. You get in there. I don't think I've ever seen uh, a dude that hopped up on Adderall. That's got to be what they're feeding. Did you look at the president's eyes and the way he says, 30, 30. He's just he's up there yapping, just saying whatever he wants. Uh, he got the Republicans pissed a few times, got a few standing ovations because people are going to stand up and cheer. They got Vice President Kamala Harris behind him, um, the new Speaker of the House behind him. He said some stuff about Republicans wanting to get rid of um, Medicare, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was yelling liar. She had a nice coat on. That was cool. But uh, a lot of you know a lot of theater people just kind of want to um, want to be on TV. Uh, they they just love showing themselves. Did you, did you watch when he not so much when the president enters, which is always kind of cool when when uh, they come out and yell the president of the United States, and then the president walks up there and shaking hands. The, the building's not that big. The room's not that big. If you've ever been in there, it's, it's it is cool to see. I do like going to DC and some of seeing some of the historic stuff. Uh, the Capitol's, I mean, it's awesome. I disagree with a lot of stuff that goes on in D.C., but the Capitol's awesome. The Rotunda's is so cool. Uh, if you can ever get a dome tour, when you actually go up into the dome, the Capitol Dome is badass. I think you need to be with a member of Congress to get up there, which is a reason for getting to know some of those guys, if they can get you a dome tour, because that's pretty much all they're doing. It, he, uh, The president didn't mention um, the balloon, the Chinese spy balloon. Because it was one of those things, I think, that they saw it coming. Uh, it moves pretty slow. I don't know if you've ever been in a balloon, but the balloon moves slow. It went over the Aleutian Islands in uh, Alaska, and then it it um, it went, th- I think it went through Canada. They didn't fly over Russian airspace, because uh, I, I guess Russia might have tried to shoot it down. But Russia's one of those things. Russia's one of those... Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. One of, the, one of the tough guys in a bar that you've never seen fight, but you've heard they're tough. Until they fight and they get their ass whipped. That's kind of what Russia is. But, uh, yeah, it, it didn't fly over Russian airspace. It flew over Canadian airspace and then into uh, my home state of Montana. So there's this Chinese spy balloon over Billings, Montana. And I think they were trying to look at um, Maelstrom Air Force Base, which is in Great Falls, Montana. But I remember my, I mentioned my brother, Tom. I've been giving him shit lately. I, uh, he, he sent me a link when it first came out and said, yeah, somebody spotted this weird balloon. It's not the moon. It's some big thing. And it, it might make headlines, which... 
it eventually did a Chinese spy balloon that was moving around slow. And it's a, it's one of those things where you need to be concerned with it. You know, the the administration has kind of blown it off, saying that uh, well, they they can get the same pictures from satellites and uh, all that intel and whatnot. I don't think it's the case because it's lower than the satellite. It's closer. It's sixty thousand feet slower. And uh, it looks at stuff that they, they happen to see a lot of our um, Maelstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls has a lot of our uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles for nuclear war, which um, a lot of these people in D.C. love to talk about in case it ever comes to it, which I hope we don't. We've discussed it in the past. We don't really want a uh, nuclear war anywhere. It's going to end up bad. But it took pictures of uh, Maelstrom Air Force Base, and then it flew over Missouri, saw some of our strategic bombers. That's where they are, and then it went over to... Uh, Went over the country, saw uh, saw you know a bunch of other shit, and then it got shot down by an F twenty two Raptor over the I think off the coast of South Carolina. I was saying that uh, it was getting way too close to Epstein Island, so it had to shoot itself down because because that's what people do when they see the list of people that went to Epstein Island and all the shit that went on there. But the F twenty two shot it down. It's his first air to air kill, which is awesome. I would love to be that pilot uh, right up there in history with the. Um, the fighters that fought in World War II shooting down German planes, and then uh, obviously the pi- pilots are awesome. I, I can't say enough good things about pilots. Uh, all through history, what they've done, close air support, air-to-air combat, aces, astronauts, <laughs> which is cool, uh, going to the moon, um, and then to be the guy that shot down a balloon, which is dope. I mean, that's a good call because that would be a sticker, I think, that you put on your aircraft that you, you got a balloon. But that was going on last night, and the president didn't mention. Um, I think what China was doing was they were looking at our response. I mean, could they have put stuff in there to, you know, weaponize a balloon? Maybe. Could they hit us with uh, biological weapons? Well, they already have COVID, China, um, with the help of some uh, pharmaceutical companies and a few people in our government gave us COVID and the lockdown. And we still don't know what happened, but uh, brought to you by. Pfizer, <laughs> did you see the uh, the Grammys the other night? Uh, people were all spun up that Sam Smith, who is non-binary, which means, I don't know what it means. He's non-binary. They are non-binary. And they, those are their pronouns, uh, did a devil show, a worshiping the devil type thing on the Grammys. And there was all kinds of um, dancers and whatnot dressed as demons. And uh, I... And they were saying how they're, um, a lot of people are, are satanic right now and they're not even hiding it anymore. And that could be true. Um, I think the demons are always, uh, they're always around. They just change it. Same demons, they just change their names to different stuff that we find acceptable. But I don't think personally that Sam Smith is satanic. And I said this on Twitter and I've heard from many of you. And please, uh, on this podcast, whatever, uh, whenever I say anything, go to uh, at Mikuya or at the Operator Podcast and let me know what you think because it's the Operator Podcast and we're all operators and I want to hear what you think and I could be wrong. Uh, I could be right, though. I'm usually right. I'm right. Um, But I don't think that Sam Smith is necessarily demonic. I think he loves attention. And I think that's what he's doing, and he knows he can troll. Not control. He can troll um, the right, and he's doing it because he knows they're going to spin up if he does that devil stuff. You can tell that Sam Smith loves attention based on his nipple clips that he wore in that video. And The video, if you haven't seen it, it's worth the watch because um, I am personally not a... um, a, a talented person as far as creativity, but they were pretty creative with the, the, the they had a bunch of dudes. It was a, a dude only video and the, the ass choreography was amazing. 
They're just ass dancing. It was dope. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that he was doing that just to troll. And he, and he got, he likes attention. He got attention and we gave it to him. But uh, yeah, the demonic thing, um, Sam Smith, Grammys. Uh, we were talking about D.C. Uh, the State of the Union didn't really, uh, all, all pretty much the president said, President Biden, the, the most popular president in, in the history of the universe, even though nobody wants him to run again. Have you noticed that? They, uh, no one will say they want him to run again, except maybe him. He sort of hints at it. But when they ask any Democrat, um, do, do you support him running? A very simple yes or no question. Well, I don't really want to get into the thing because of the blah, blah, fucking blah. Typical polit- politics. But I think he's the only serving president to have his home raided by the FBI, which tells me that they're looking for a reason to get him out. They have a reason to get him out. I mean, Hunter Biden's laptop, which some people still won't admit is his, except Hunter Biden admitted it's his, with all that nonsense, all the Chinese stuff, all the uh, Ukraine stuff, weird. A lot of money flowing in and out of the Biden household. It's on the laptop. Hunter admitted it's his, and uh, some people still don't want to admit it. But just with that balloon and not shooting it down till it went over our country proves that, that I think that uh, someone in China has someone in D.C. by the stones, and they got some serious stuff on them. And you see it everywhere. Diane Feinstein had a spy, a Chinese spy driving for her, her chauffeur, for 20 years. That's two decades with a Chinese spy in your, in your front seat, the, the driver's seat, listening to everything you say because their OPSEC is bad. I think, uh, I forget who it was, but I think it was um, the head of the CIA, his password. No, no, no. It was, uh, it was, um, John Podesta, wasn't it? His uh, the chief of staff for the president, and his password was password, like not even uppercase. <laughs> uh, but they're not good about opsec, and they'll talk about anything. And Chinese spies driving our uh, Senate Intel Committee people around, and then you've got um, congressmen that are, you know, a dude that can't get a date in college, and all of a sudden these Asian girls are hitting on him once he gets into Congress. Um, all the spies that are going to NYU. You know they're 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 here, but uh, they they got somebody by something, and that's that's why we wouldn't shoot it down. But DC is a funny place. So the president gets up there, the State of the Union address. He mentions uh, he wants to tax billionaires, which gets um always gets applause because billionaires are bad, um, successful people are bad. Even though even though the top one percent does pay forty two percent of all taxes, um, they don't mention they'll they'll say billionaires and billionaires and tax the rich. The rich aren't paying their fair share. Um, <clears throat> fair share is a lot. To, I learned that getting out of the military, um, what your fair share is, because the military, if you don't know this, they um, they don't pay they don't pay soldiers and sailors a lot of money, even when you get extra pay. I remember we uh, when the wars wars plural started, and I was at SEAL Team Six. We were all excited because um, we started getting save pay. They called it, it was a thousand bucks a month extra, which is good because like I think jump pays like one fifty and demo pays like one fifty or something and free fall is is 200 something and that adds up of course but you're not making a lot of money i think i think that uh people on welfare make more money than uh someone who just enlisted in the army i think i could be wrong again let me know <clears throat> but uh th- that is dc and dc is fun like i mentioned the capital is cool there's a there's a it's neat to see the history a lot of stuff is even though they don't produce anything there's a lot of history there because your federal dollars pay for those huge buildings and pay for those government jobs the people that can't get fired um, but the, you know, the museums are great. The Smithsonian is awesome. A huge diamond is there. I've seen that diamond. It's a, you know, the hope diamond, I think huge, like that shit that rose with, th- I still pissed at Rose for throwing that off the back of that ship. That that shouldn't have, she should have kept that. But, uh, the Holocaust museum, if you haven't been there, well, I'll tell you what, when you go to DC, put that on your list, but don't plan anything afterwards. Cause you're not going to be in a good mood. That's something to, one of those things where you need to know your history. The Holocaust museum goes through, um, 
um, goes through what what happened um, in the Holocaust, how it started, then the ghettos, then the they they have um, a lot of exhibits as far as the gas chambers, and it's just uh, it's 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 not a it's not a fun place, but it's really educational. I went there one time in D.C. Uh, I I did live there for a little while, and there were two people, two. Pro- there's always protesters. For some reason, the fanatics get out there and they want to protest everything. Um, they were protesting free Palestine in front of the Holocaust Museum. And it's like, dude, the Israeli embassy is near here. You can go, why are you protesting in front of the Holocaust Museum? And you want to ask them, but they don't know anything because they uh, protesters get paid. Like, I, I was at Fox News one time, and, and I was talking to one of the security guys. And every Tuesday, this group of people come comes out in front of Fox News. They protest Fox News, obviously. Uh, Trump is bad signs and shit like that. And I asked the security guy, what's what's their deal? And he goes, I don't know. Someone pays them like 50 bucks a day and they come here every Tuesday and they, they protest. But the fanatics are out there. DC's fun. In the, uh, one of the, I think it's in the Capitol, there's, um, there's a cloak room. It's like a women's cloak room or something like that that's haunted by Thomas Jefferson. I guess he goes and sleeps on this uh, couch in there, which is pretty cool. And then the speaker's office is awesome. That's the... Um, the Speaker of the House's office uh, has the best view in, in D.C. You can see the the roads like come right up to Capitol Hill. Don't go outside, though. Don't wear they, – they were actually telling people don't wear really nice winter coats because someone is going to uh, rob you because th- they, they can tell you have money. Um, a lot of Democrat policies don't seem to work that way. When, whenever they use the word reimagine, like we're going to reimagine law enforcement, it's going to be bad. You get Chicago. You get handgun violence. They won't bring up handgun violence. It's all about – well, unless they're assault pistols, which I guess is the new – phrase that pays but yeah the haunted room the rotunda is awesome uh it is cool to see some of those places i've been to dinner at the white house i've seen the lincoln bedroom which is a complete um out of body experience to see the bed where abraham lincoln's son died and see abe's desk where abraham lincoln used to write letters to people handwrite letters and uh he wouldn't send them like the mean ones he would write them and then put them in a in his desk and never send them which is good too like if if you're really if you're pissed off and you want to yell at someone or send a nasty text or email, do that. Write it, but don't hit send. And it makes you feel better. Like uh, Twitter, too. I'm guilty, too. The, uh, uh, don't, don't hit tweet <laughs> if, if you're mad. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I saw the uh, Lincoln bedroom with, um, with uh, uh, President Trump brought me up there. It was pretty cool to, to see that. And then he had the Secret Service show me where the, 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 the Brits started the fire in 1812 when they burned the White House down. So there's a lot of history there. The White House is cool. It's cool to see it. Um, the people there, <laughs> it's a different animal. Um, because you'll, you'll notice when the, the president was leaving uh, after his State of the Union address, everyone's trying to get FaceTime with him. And you, it, it, look at the people around him and look at their smiles. They're almost starstruck. And these are congressmen and four-star generals and um, shit like that. And they're all trying to get FaceTime with the president, get their face on television. And it's just... Like I said, it's theater. Um, he he didn't mention the 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 balloon. Doesn't mention China. Uh, I think he might have mentioned Ukraine a little bit, um, but he kind of rolls through there, and then the the speaker of the house hits a gavel and leaves. But DC was fun. We we did a good job in DC. We we were good at. Uh, there, there's some places up there where some of the tier one units work. There's the Army of Northern Virginia. I do want to get into them eventually too. There's some there's some pretty good dudes there, men and women that are uh, doing some of the intel side. Um, Cool nicknames and shit like that. We we had we had some stuff up there, and we put uh, put some senior people at different levels, like the National Security Council, not on it, but like around it. Like if, if you go to DC, what you're going to see is, uh, and it's they even they're pretty good about this in uh, TV shows. You'll see the big uh, T 
table in the middle of the room, the conference table with the the um, like the president, the head of the table. You always notice too, if you notice, the president's chair is just a little bit higher than everyone else's. It's kind of cool, and everyone at the table can talk when spoken to, and then people are standing around there uh, around the room. You'll see that they don't they don't get to talk. If they ever talk, it's because something really big happened. I think I saw in the, that uh, show. I'm watching Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy's thing. Pretty good, not bad. Um, but we put people up there near the National Security Council, around the White House, a couple fellows. And the way it was explained to me is we're up there just to spray the musk, just to uh, massage the politicians to let them know that Navy SEALs are good at stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons that we got picked for the Bin Laden raid was because um, Navy SEALs were just they, – they were telling them that they were good at stuff. And uh, I think that's why we got that, and the fact that we had a we had an admiral in charge of Joint Special Operations Command. That's one of the reasons we got it. But DC's fun. Um, I lived up there in the Navy for a while. Um, if you want to see how it actually works, because people for some reason get this vibe that when you see people on television, uh, congressmen, senators who are just trying to get on there, trying to get on TV to talk to hear themselves, and some of them are, some of them make really good points. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie about that. There, there's some smart people up there, but. Uh, they get this thought that um, they're like smarter than everyone, holier than thou type stuff, and it's not the case. They're just on TV. And that's all it is. All, all you got to remember when you're on TV is keep your hands down, don't move your hands around, and look at the camera like I'm doing right now, and then talk slower and uh, make valid points. And then if you're giving a speech to people, just make sure you use the cadence so the people will follow you because people follow people, and chaos breeds chaos, and the herd mentality. Um, Panic breeds panic. That's I mean that's the whole January sixth thing. I mean, that's why people went in there. They they stayed in between the velvet ropes, but the herd started going. And you got people, you know, agents, feds that are riling them up. And then once the herd goes, they just keep going. It's like the uh, when you see the cows running across the street, and one jumps a shadow of a fence. They all jump the shadow of a fence because because uh, herd mentality. But um, it was neat to be in D.C. because we got to. Uh, I got a. That, that's my first experience working with other government agencies, with the CIA, with State Department, which are just different animals. I mean, the difference between spies and diplomats is crazy because uh, I think that a lot of the case officers and and I mean spies is a, is a is a harsh word, I guess, but that's you know that's what I'm talking about. They they kind of saw it coming with the, as far as the um, the political correctness the woke mentality and why we're going to fail if we fail. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer over here, but just seeing people getting promoted for different reasons other than performance. Um, and just the, the way you got it, you like, I, I heard someone saying that they, um, you can't even call it a meeting anymore. It's like a, a leadership gathering of the equity. <laughs> God bless America type shit. Um, but one of the guys I met who I would like to interview, I don't, I'm not going to say his name right now. was an agency guy and he worked in some of those places like China um, I was working, I was still in the Navy, uh, at the tier one level and I was working in a place in DC. What I was getting at is if you, if you want to see how Congress works and you want to really meet congressmen and see how they act, there's a place near Capitol Hill. You, you won't get into the Capitol Hill club, which has a wonderful lunch buffet. Um, the Capitol Hill club is a private club. I think you got to be a member to get in, not a member of Congress, but you got to be a member of the Capitol Hill club to get in there. But right across the street is a place called Bullfeathers. And Bullfeathers is—it's like a—it's pretty much a Republican bar, and I don't know if they split the city up that way, left and right. But uh, if you want to see congressmen act up, go to Bullfeathers. It's a good one. But the, the place I want to talk about when I was up in D.C., uh, I was living in um, uh, Arlington, 
And there's a place in Arlington called Spider Kelly's. And I think it's still open. I don't know. I've been there. It used to be a pretty good spot. We'd go up there quite a bit. But I met a dude from the agency. The first time I met him, I was introduced by a friend. So I was at SEAL Team 6. He was a CIA guy. And we went to Spider Kelly's. And it was a funny story because we're just getting to know each other. We're talking, having many drinks and just, you know, networking or politicking. And then <coughs> um, I went back to my apartment, fell asleep, and I woke up the next day. I just met this dude, and he was a contact. I'm like, man, we had a lot of shots. I hope I didn't act up. Shit, I better text him and just kind of feel I hope I didn't. Jeez, did I, was I an asshole? So I texted him, and I said, hey, man, great meeting you. How did it end up um, after I left? And he responded with, uh, well, based on the taste in my mouth, after I left Spider Kelly's, I must have been handing out rim jobs at a homeless shelter. <laughs> so I was like, he's a good dude. <laughs> the dollar just hit a seven-month low, and we all saw what happened with the crypto market last year. Why would you trust your hard-earned savings in unstable governments printing their way out of debt or other shady deals like that? Take my advice. Protect your financial future with something real. Gold and silver from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. I've been all over the planet, and there's only one universal currency that is always of value, and that is gold. Allegiance Gold has some of the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with Trustlink, AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. Go to protectwiththeoperator.com and get up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them the operator sent you. Or give them a call at 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. We can't control the Biden administration, but we can prepare for the consequences of their policies. So go to protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com. Or give them a call at 844-790-9191. So that's um, that is that is DC, and right around there too is uh, the five sided wind tunnel, the Pentagon, and Pentagon Row, which is a series of uh, buildings. There's a big mall there, right by the Ritz Carlton, which is a which is a great hotel. And there used to be a place up there called Shinee uh, Irish Pub, S I N E, I guess is the way you pronounce it. And they had uh, there's one in Richmond, Virginia. I haven't been to that one. It looks the same. But I recall um, Shanae Irish Pub had these things called Irish nachos, which were just dynamite. Um, they, they, I don't know how they did it, but they're these homemade chips. I think they cut the, the potatoes themselves, and then they, they deep fry them there, and then they, it's like cheese and ranch dressing of all things. I don't know why they're called Irish nachos with ranch dressing, but they are. The first time I ever tasted them, I remember uh, asking how long my grandmother had worked there because nobody could make food with that much love other than Georgia. <laughs> but uh, Shanae Irish Pub, Pentagon Row, it was a fun experience just to get to know people and get to the, the realization that uh, D.C. is a small city. Everybody talks to, um, everybody knows each other, and uh, just watch your back <laughs> up there. Um, it, it, was, it was fun, to, um, it was fun to, meet, to meet people, talk to both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, a lot of FaceTime with people that, that, that are really good at saying what people want to hear. And um, starting wars, shit like that. Uh, a lot of the generals I was saying were, were surrounding uh, the president as he was leaving. I saw the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, who I've never met to, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to talk about people I don't, I don't know. He he was uh, Mark Milley was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs that uh, called his counterpart in China 
when President Trump was leaving office after Joe Biden got a gazillion votes or whatever he did, uh, to let them, because he said that the president was unhinged and he called China to let him know that he's not going to start a nuclear war. And if we do, he'll let him know, which is completely inappropriate, wildly inappropriate. Uh, if you think the the president's unhinged, which I don't think he is, like if you get to know him instead of listening to the talking heads on different uh, shows, I think again getting FaceTime with someone and re- realizing where they're coming from. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, the chairman, General Milley, was there. Other four stars surrounding the president, and just the starstruck mentality, just the way. And not Milley, but uh, other people just kind of standing around. They're just waiting for a, a word with the president, and who knows what the hell he was saying. Because uh, he did do a lot of mumbling and stumbling during his uh, his uh, State of the Union address, whatever. And I don't want to talk too much shit there either. Um, but it, it's it's always funny to see those uh, career officers with their huge uh, rack of ribbons. Uh, look at the look at the the one uh, highest to their right, and that's their top award. And you'll you'll generally see these people that have gone through their career telling people exactly what they want to hear so they get promoted. They have a shit ton of what we call end of tour awards. Like uh, if you ever seen that movie, I'm gonna get you, sucker. When he's he's like, well, this one's for typing, and this one, you know, whatever. That's uh, a lot of these guys doing that. But uh, those are the guys making the decisions um, to to spend the money. What is it? One point five trillion dollars. The the Pentagon gets the Department of Defense. I think I think it employs more people than anybody, and um, they can't account for I think thirty nine percent of their budget. I'm throwing numbers out there. I could be wrong. Let me know. But uh, they can't account for their budget, but they uh, they keep pumping the money in, and the, the money keeps going everywhere. And if you if you look at a lot of these bills, it, uh, they got shrimp running on treadmills. That's that's a thing that they're funding. And then you got bridges named after people that go to nowhere. And uh, uh, equity, bird watching, docks, <laughs> shit like that. Um, but uh, the, the new thing now is they're sending, even though the president, I think a year ago, said he would never send armor to Ukraine, now we're sending tanks to Ukraine, M1, A1 Abrams, which are bad fucking tanks. Like those are th- the best in the world. And we're sending those there. We have Bradley's fighting vehicles there. That's um, They sent those over there, even though we said we never wouldn't. And we're getting to, like even the Germans, they're going to send their tanks into it, but they said we'll only do it if you do it. Kind of thing like I dare you. And, and I don't know if you've noticed in the past, if uh, Germany sends tanks across international borders, bad things happen. But they're doing it. The Brits are doing it. We're sending all kinds of tanks in there. And the thing is, I don't know how many, and maybe someone can help me with this, how many tanks we already have, uh, uh, Abrams, in Europe. But we got a lot. It's, it's got to be more than 1,000, right? Because of NATO? Because, uh, because for this reason? But we, we, we're going to make new ones for Ukraine? From uh, start to finish, which doesn't make any sense, but we have to do that. And then we have to um, send troops there to train the Ukrainians how to use them. Where are we going to train them? Poland? Czech Republic, maybe? I don't know. Um, but it takes, it's going to take five years to get tanks there if you, if, you, if you make them now, right? So think about that. Just, just put, this isn't a short war, and, no, and nobody in D.C. wants it to be. Five years to get tanks there, <clears throat> even though we have tanks over there now. Why can't we train them on those? I don't know, but why do they need tanks? Um, if you're trying to move troops safely uh, with armor, I, the Bradley would work. If they have them there, but they're sending tanks now. <clears throat> and it gets to a point where uh, at what point does Russia realize that we're fighting them? Because we have, uh, 
we've always had conflicts with Russia. Like there was no secret that we were sending stingers through Pakistan to Afghanistan to for the Mujahideen to shoot down Russian uh, helicopters and planes, which we did. And it was no secret that Russians were helping the um, the Vietnamese in Vietnam. But now. Uh, Vladimir Putin's got to know what we're doing. And now, I mean, and they're kicking around, well, we're not going to send them F-16s, which, who knows? Are we going to? Why are we sending them tanks? You don't need tanks. There there doesn't need to be a tank battle. We have a thing called uh, Javelin missiles, the anti-tank, anti-armor missiles that, like, you blast them. There's a couple different settings. And uh, you shoot them, and they go way up in the air, and they come down on the top of the tank. You you could destroy every tank Russia has with javelins. Two soldiers per, two guys per missile, and you can reload them or whatever. And uh, you you don't need tank on tank. I mean, even if you're going to put jets in there, put A10s in there, you're going to wipe them all out. But these javelin guys could fuck tanks up. But instead, we're just we're sending tanks. Why? Because um, because we, someone needs the money somewhere. So some somebody who's making the tanks needs the money. And then you got to figure with the. Uh, the training the the Ukrainians, you got to send troops over there. So now you got Americans in there. Are they going to be driving the tanks in there? Do we have Americans in there now? As I mean, we started in Vietnam with advisors, right? But uh, this, for some reason, is a long drawn out war. And we've always it always seems like we're always getting into stuff. We're getting into wars. We we were bombing Libya. Remember that um, when we were running guns through Libya to get them into uh, anti Assad troops in Syria. And then we bombed them, and and that's a war we started that we really didn't even commit to. And now, I mean, there's there's um, slavery in Libya now, like open slave markets in Libya, because of shit that we do. Because again, going back to DC, this is what a lot of politicians want to do. They want to get us in these fights. So so if we're sending Abrams tanks now, how, I mean, when does it stop? And and uh, or does it stop? Do do we need it? To, and wh- I mean, wh- what's really going on there? Why are we so invested in Ukraine? I mean, it's it's horrible what the people are going through, and there's definitely a war there, and there's definitely a hardship. But what is it? Is it? Uh, I've heard everything from uh, Vladimir Putin. Saw what's happening as far as the corruption. He wants to stop it, or he wants to get Ukraine back. And will he stop there? Who knows? And he's. I mean, I'm not defending him. He's not a good guy. He's an asshole. He's a he's a dictator. He's probably a sociopath. But um, there we are. And uh, you got Germany involved. Ukraine's not a NATO country, but now we're um, we're acting like they are and uh, just fighting it up, making tanks. Sending contracts to different people, and not in D.C. because they don't make anything in D.C., but people just uh, approving this funding that you're paying for, and, that, and now we're sending tanks to um, to Ukraine. And then, and then the next thing too, we got a four-star general. I'm surprised he still has a job because he said that he told the truth. He said uh, he's in charge of Air Mobility Command, so that's like I don't know how many thousands of people are under him. Four-star Air Force, and he said uh, he. He, I think the, the, the letter started out with, I don't like saying this or something like that. And he said, we're going to be at war with China in 2025, which is not a good thing um, because that is a different part of the world. And that's, you're talking shipping lanes now. And uh, China wants to take, uh, they, they're, they're, they're going to get into a, a, an amphibious assault with Taiwan, right? Because of the microchips or whatever they're making there. That, that's, that's where they're all produced. And, you know, that's again, China doing, doing, um, Worldwide stuff affecting everything, but a war with China is not a good thing either, but they're talking about it. And so how do you avoid a war where you keep building? You keep building more ships, more uh, more tanks, more troops. Uh, the the mil- I, I never, when I was in the military, I never said military-industrial complex because I didn't think it was real because I wanted to believe that we're, uh, we're doing, we're spreading democracy and defeating communism, which we're not. I mean, we're teaching communism now in our schools, which is what Nikita Khrushchev said in the 50s. Um, as far as you know, Russia's going to take us without firing a shot, that's what they're doing. So we're not. There is no defending democracy. That's not what it's about. 
It's about greasing the pockets of someone who's making a bunch of stuff that um, we can send places. And an amphibious assault is not like Ukraine, where you can sort of be there and sort of pull out and sort of talk to uh, Germany and their tiger tanks, <laughs> whatever they're called. Yeah, we're kind of here, we're kind of not. Um, an amphibious landing is, you, you, there's, no, there's no dial on that back down. And then China has a bigger Navy than we do. Now, we're more efficient, and I think we can beat them, but I don't want to. <laughs> like, I don't want to get into it, but, uh, well, they're a bigger Navy, so that means we need to make more ships, right? Which is more money, which is more contract, which is, which is people getting rich off of uh, us just being involved with everything. And I'm, I'm a big believer that um, the world is a safer place when America is strong. But I, th- I, think we're, I don't think we're being strong in the right way. Um, because, I mean, if you get into Taiwan, now you're talking, that's no longer NATO. You're talking um, um, Japan. It's going to get involved in South Australia. And they're great people, but uh, is that what we really want? But uh, it, it's, you, you, you watch these guys on TV. You watch the State of the Union. You watch people yelling at each other and standing up and standing ovations and booing and just yelling. These are the people making the decisions that are going to affect us all. And it is now, I mean... You're paying more for stuff, you know. Politics aside, are are, are you spending more on eggs now? Is, is your grocery bill more than it used? To? I go to the grocery store now. I don't even care what I'm buying. I'm spending like 150 or two bucks on whatever the hell I went in there for. Um, so I mean, if 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 you're if you honestly think that you're not spending more money, great, cool. Um, I don't know what planet you're living on, but uh, these are all the people spending all this money, and that's the reason prices go up. Um, and uh, that's what we're doing. This episode of The Operator is sponsored by Blue Chew. So let's talk about sex. Shouldn't you always be at your best? 2023 is your year to maximize your performance in the bedroom. So listen up. BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in a chewable tablet at a fraction of the cost. You can take it anytime, day or night, so plan ahead whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Go to BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's done online, so there's no doctor visits, no awkward conversations, and you don't need to wait in line at the pharmacy. And BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped to your door in a discreet package. So when your package arrives, your package will arrive. BlueChew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for the, my listeners today. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code OPERATOR at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code OPERATOR, to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. You have heard me talk about it before, and it's awesome. Have you tried Black Buffalo? Uh, I used to dip all the time in the Navy, and I wanted to get away from tobacco, so I started using black buffalo. I've mentioned it before. It is uh, the same ritual as uh, traditional smokeless tobacco without the tobacco. There's no tobacco leaf or stem. It's made from food-grade ingredients, and it does have pharmaceutical-grade nicotine if you desire. We have some that don't uh, don't have nicotine either. But uh, black buffalo, same thing. Get done with a meal, throw in a dip, wake up in the morning after coffee. With coffee, have a dip. Black Buffalo has no tobacco. If you are a dipper currently and over the age of 21, check out blackbuffalo.com and get you some. We got a, a really good flavors. I got wintergreen right here. Um, go to blackbuffalo.com. Check it out. And uh, I don't think 
the president mentioned the border either, the southern border. I don't know if you noticed. There's an influx, if you will, or an invasion, whichever word you want to use, um, of migrants, uh, illegal, illegal immigrants coming through. And it's starting to spread. There's a hospital. Did you see that hospital in Yuma, Arizona, that's now uh, millions in debt because of all of the um, illegal immigrants piling into the hospital and a lot of pregnant women giving birth? Um, and, you know, hospitals are full of good people. Nurses are awesome and, and doctors are awesome. And they're, uh, you know, they're going to help people, but no one's paying the bills. And uh, the migrants are spreading. You're going to see it. Um, all over the country, there's uh, the, the the luxury hotels in New York, where they put the. I was mentioning that last time. <laughs> there were, the, it, it was all dudes uh, in this hotel, and they didn't want to leave. And there's all these activists out there on the street that are riling them up, um, telling the migrants that uh, this new shelter that New York made for them was. Um, I mentioned it last week. Wasn't good. It was cold. The beds were bad. They're military style beds, not enough bathrooms. Like uh, the mayor, Eric Adams, actually stayed over in the shelter one night trying to prove to them that it's good, which I don't think is our place to do that because I don't think we owe them anything. We should deport them. There's a lot of different things we can do about the border. But some of these migrants now are, um, they're saying they came here for a better life, but America is not that great because of all the Americans. <laughs> like they said, the, the, uh, the, um, the drug use and the homelessness and the violence. And so now a lot of these migrants are trying to get to Canada and the Mounties are arresting them when they go to Canada. So it's just, it's just spilling over. And again, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people that are trying to leave uh, their country or leave communism, but I think a lot of them are just being played. And a, uh, the, the cartels in Mexico, I don't want to touch on them. They're, they're kind of running the show down there, but the migrants are coming up. That wasn't really mentioned in the State of the Union because it's one of those things as a politician, especially when you own the media, if you don't see it, it ain't there. And uh, they're not going to really talk bad about that. But he didn't mention that, and I'm trying my best not to be, like, uh, down in the dumps. I'm, I really want to have – I'm in a really good mood, and I really want want people to be happy listening to this. It's just uh, I have a tendency to read headlines and, and uh, have some what the, what the F moments. Um but uh, every time I talk about D.C., it seems like uh, something negative comes up. I have a, I've had a good time in D.C. I, I like going there sometimes, but uh, you can feel the dirt. Um, and and uh, overseas, too, There, I was reading a story. Did you see the story about um, there's a, a Brazilian teenager who went to Indonesia, and now she's, she's facing a firing squad for trafficking. I guess she, uh, she said she was tricked into putting three kilos of cocaine in her luggage. Now, I'm not, you know, I use the metric. I don't use the metric system, but I think three kilos is a lot of cocaine. And she got tricked into that, and uh, they'll kill you there. In Indonesia, they, they, they executed some people a couple of years ago. Two Australians were executed for drug trafficking. They don't mess around with that. You got to be careful with uh, where you go and follow their, their, their rules. Like, I tell people, you know, I've been to Egypt, but if I need to see a pyramid, I'm just going to go to Vegas and stay at the Luxor. Uh, there's a lot of places, well, uh, a lot of places I can't go. <laughs> so you got to be careful. So don't uh, don't be trafficking drugs into e- Indonesia. They don't play there. Um, they're very strict. A firing squad, and apparently I was, God, why? But I was reading up on that, I guess. I don't know who they interviewed, but I guess getting shot by a firing squad is extremely painful. I don't know. Um, they said that I guess you're conscious for another 10 seconds after you get blasted because I guess they're taking chest shots. 
So that's horrible. <laughs> so, and there was another dude that uh, an Australian guy in Indonesia that that um, he escaped. Uh, he narrowly escaped the death penalty because he he got he tried to smuggle like 0.3 grams of meth in his bum. And I guess you're going to notice that like you're not getting tricked. I don't think you're getting tricked into putting that stuff in your ass. But uh, he did, and uh, the judge I guess was nice. Instead of killing him, he put him in like eight months of rehab and just said he was an addict. So there's that. <laughs> so, um, and then another good story because we're talking about DC and dark money and people that pay people for uh, stuff. There, there, uh, there's an with, with these activists. I don't even know these activists. They, man, they, they. I don't like. How can you? How can you always be an activist? Like, what what else do you do in life? But there's these activists and there's this dark money that are that are uh, going after the lobster men in Maine. Um, uh, they're saying in Maine that the lobsters are interfering and killing the whales and the the fishermen the lobster guys are saying there well there's no whales here like how are we hurting something that's not there but they're these activists are like th- these lobster guys are spending a lot of money on uh, legal fees cuz they've got to fight these fucking activists and no one knows where the money's coming from to support them they're trying to get rid of the lobster uh, traps they're saying they're trying right now to get rid of the ropes like you can't use ropes anymore for a lobster trap, a pot, right? Like you need a rope for that, don't you? And I didn't know ropes. Did that is that that bad for whales that aren't there? I mean, they're killing whales with the um, the exploration of all these wind farms they're putting in the ocean. There's whales washing up in in Jersey, in New Jersey, and uh, Long Island. Humpback whales are dying. They, you know, they're not saying why, but it's is it a coincidence that we're putting all these uh, wind farms up there? They're killing the um, killing the whales, but. Uh, yeah, these lobstermen, like you got to figure that's like an industry in Maine. That's like livelihoods. And it's not just the people fishing, it's the people that sell the bait to the fishermen, it's the people that sell the the fuel, the people that make the food that they eat. Like this is an entire industry they're trying to get rid of because I guess they're uh killing the whales that aren't there. Isn't that crazy? But that that's uh that's a lot of these activists are doing the dark money coming from somewhere and then uh you know, it all, all rolls back to DC. So we're going to we're going to monitor that and see what they do, but I mean, lobster's good, right? Don't we like it? Uh, like lobster rolls? What if we can't get those anymore just because uh, someone's yelling about something? It's crazy, I think. Uh, but that wasn't mentioned in the State of the Union address either. You've heard me mention uh, ketones before. Do you know what they are, ketones? It's a natural source of fuel for your body. They're often created when stored carbs are depleted and it triggers your body to convert fat into ketones for fuel. But unlike fats, ketones can cross the blood-brain barrier, allowing ketones to fuel both the brain and the body, and compared to other sources of energy like glucose or fat, ketones are more efficient, and they can produce more power while using less oxygen. You can find Ketone IQ at HVMN.com. Visit HVMN.com and use promo code THEOPERATOR. HVMN is in health via modern nutrition. HVMN.com, use the code THEOPERATOR. It's brain fuel. It's a clean energy boost without sugar or caffeine. Zero sugar, zero caffeine. Energy boost. Use it daily, first thing in the morning or whenever you need to re-energize. It's a wave of clean energy coupled with sharp focus, uh, and I love it. So go to HVMN.com. Use code THEOPERATOR. <laughs> the State of the Union. I keep uh, I keep looking around at uh, computers here. and it, it, We're going to hear about the State of the Union now for a uh, a number of days before we forget about it because that's the news cycle. Um, what the president said, tied in the economy. I, I love how he says how many jobs he's created when like every nobody went to work for a year 
and now everyone's back to work. So that's all these jobs he created. It's awesome. Government created jobs. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna hear about that. And I saw uh, uh, Sarah Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the uh, governor of Arkansas, which is a pretty cool story in itself because her dad, obviously Mike Huckabee, who I really like. Um, was the governor. I think it was the first father-daughter combo to be governor. She gave a retort. I guess it was scorching. Um, but, you know, we need new this. <laughs> Knew that. And she yelled about... Not didn't yell. She was, she was good. Um, just, you know, obviously count, um, contradicting the president at every angle possible. That's what they do. They give a retort. Um, but we're going to hear about that for a couple days. It'll be over. Um, did you see the kiss? Um, I guess uh, Jill Biden... Kissed uh, Doug, what's his name? Doug Emhoff, which is Kamala Harris's Kamala Harris's uh, husband, right on the right on the lips. It was awkward. <laughs> just, she gave a kiss there, and then uh, another moment was um, when uh, Mitt Romney, I guess, scolded George Santos. So Mitt Romney obviously is a senator from Utah, and then uh, George Santos is a New York congressman that got in a lot of trouble because he was, um, I guess he was lying the whole time, which, you know, he's a politician, so whatever. But he was saying, I think he said he was Jewish, but he was like, no, I'm just Jewish. He's not Jewish. I guess he's Catholic or something like that, but he, he lied the whole time, and now he's getting in some heat for uh, some sort of harassment with a staffer. I guess he was touching some dude's leg and invited him to his house. That's the story I read. I wasn't there again. But uh, Romney and he had a little heated exchange when Romney was going to his seat saying, uh, you don't belong here, something like that. And then um, they had a bit of a, a tiff, and then um, George Santos tweeted that uh, Mitt Romney will never be president. And um, Romney said he does, doesn't remember the confrontation or the conversation, but he did say that uh, George Santos is a sick puppy. So a little bit of drama there. But, you know, politicians getting in a room with politicians, booing and yelling. And then uh, I guess four Supreme Court justices didn't show up. I don't know what that's all about, but I just read that. So I figured I would tell you <laughs> for what it's worth. So, uh, yeah, State of the Union, that's where we're at. Apparently, um, jobs are great. Gas prices are going down. Inflation is not real. So that's good. Um, and then looking around the world, I do need to touch on Afghanistan because that's um, – you know, a lot of a lot of my time was spent in Afghanistan when I was in the Navy. We did um, obviously um, we did what we did there. But the new thing now is, uh, if, if you're not familiar with Afghanistan, a lot of times when warlords get into power, which basically is what the Taliban is, other warlords get unhappy and then they fight each other, which possibly could happen. You got dudes that well, because right now Kabul's not the the bosses are not in Kabul. They're in Kandahar. That's the uh, the home of the Taliban. So they're calling that the capital. And the Taliban's there. And what they're doing is uh, they have, like, their, the head guys are surrounded by clerics. And their hardline version of Sharia law is in place. And they only listen to each other. And um, some of the moderate's not a good word to use for some of these other guys. You got, like, the Haqqani guys in there. You got dudes in government positions that are on the FBI's most wanted list, which kind of says a lot. And then you got these other dudes that are, because what they're doing is they, they started off with, um, you know, when we left, we negotiated and they said that they would, uh, they'd be nicer to women or whatever, and they're not going to bring that back. That's all bullshit. Because now what they're doing is, it's, they started by saying, um, well, women 
need to go to the university at different times than the guys. So the women have the universities in the morning, I guess, and then the guys are coming later. And then they said, well, now you have to use different entrances and exits. And then they're beating women who stay on campus longer than they're allotted. And um, you can get your ass whipped if you're a woman for showing any hair, which, you know, I don't know if you're into women's rights, but that's fucked up. Um, so they're, they're beating him for that, and they're saying, well, we told the women that they need to wear a hijab or whatever they call it, and uh, but they're just dressing up like they're going to wedding parties, which is a lie. And they're just building it up to, um, we, we're not going to let women go to school anymore, and they're not going to have jobs anymore. They can't work in NGOs anymore, and that's what they're doing now. And you know, People are getting texts from people that they know in Afghanistan uh, from women saying that life as they know it is over. Like They're prisoners in their own house now. They're going back to what you like. There were women that were studying law, went to law school, wanted to be judges, you know, listened to pop music and uh, wear their hair down when we were there. And then uh, we leave and then the Taliban's taking over and uh, they're going back to where they came from. And, you know, they've been fighting. Well, people there now have been fighting for their whole lives. That's all they know is fighting. And they're going to, they'll probably get back into it. I know that a lot of people over there don't like the Taliban. Um, Doesn't really matter. (laughs) So we'll see. But some of the, the more moderate people are trying to step up and then, you know, there's going to be factions and there's uh, that's just the way it works over there. There's going to be fighting. But, the, yeah, the women are getting oppressed again. That's kind of, it's, We're not paying attention to Afghanistan anymore. But uh, that's what's happening there, along with uh, China's coming in and Turkey actually is coming in. And, and uh, there's said to be natural resources up and around the price of a trillion. So China's getting all that. Um, and Turkey, and uh, so you got natural gas, you got uh, um, a lot of copper and stuff like that. So they're moving in there. The women can't do anything, and that's what Afghanistan is. And that's like, a, I wanted to, um, I wanted to get into that today. Uh, that was actually my plan, but then the State of the Union happens, and so we got to talk about DC, and then we all get depressed. <laughs> so that's where we're at now. Uh, but I wanted to talk about um, what what went on when we first went in there, and the realization of how. Um, it's a different place. We went in there, um, obviously after 9-11 to hunt the Taliban and kill Al-Qaeda. And the Taliban wasn't, I mean, we went after them just simply because they were, um, they were providing a safe haven for Al-Qaeda to fight. But I, I wanted to, because I'm, I'm, I've been studying up on that and reading that and uh, um, what went on when they first went into Afghanistan and how, and I've mentioned this before, how we weren't, quite ready for what we were getting into because we didn't really understand the culture because we didn't take the time to get to know it and the differences of uh the the differences of of what goes on there and what goes on here and how um when we went in there to kick their ass that's what they understood we were working with warlords and we had uh, i wasn't there uh we had the um the green berets and the agency guys on horseback fighting the taliban with our air power that's how you fight uh, and they understood that uh, they being the locals, they understand um, they understand power, they understand fighting, they understand um, killing each other, and that's what we did. And then we 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 didn't quite get the culture, and that's where we ultimately failed as far as uh, trying to build a democracy there w- with people who don't quite understand the democracy. Um, we just, I mean, for some reason, we just didn't take the time. Like that, we had we had people that were briefing people because we invaded Iraq soon after we invaded Afghanistan because we assumed we'd won it and now we can go to Iraq and um, we didn't really take the time to, to really get to know where we were going. They were, they were saying, well, you're going to Iraq or Afghanistan, same thing. It's not the same thing. 
It's it's different, and it's and it's, it's really really interesting to look at the at the very very beginning of the war, and how we um how we handled it. Yes, so that is the State of the Union, and they're talking in D.C., and do you feel like the world is being held together with duct tape? Because I do. Every day we're throwing new distractions by the fake news, trying to pull us from reality that we're all about to face. Between the government trying to print their way out of debt, global military conflicts, and a looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice, it's a necessity. At times like these, you can trust My Patriot Supply. Their three-month emergency food kit comes packed with tasty, and I do mean tasty, meals with over 2,000 calories per day. And right now, you'll automatically get $200 in free survival gear with each kit you order. These products will save the day when crisis comes. And it's coming soon. Self-reliance is your only option. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and get $200 worth of free survival essentials with your three-month emergency food kit. Everything is in stock and ready to go with free shipping, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next disaster strikes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. But I am uh, getting back into that, too, the beginning of the war, because it is fascinating uh, what went down and uh, how it was fought. Because when we went in there, we did, we I mean, we kicked the shit out of him. That's what we should have done is beat him up and leave. And you got to kind of, you got to understand what you're getting into. Um, It it was really, I've talked to a couple of guys that were there initially, um, a couple of the Green Berets that were there. uh, and uh, there were some. There were some. Uh, the agency guys had set it up. Uh, they'd they'd had people over there before, and that's how they kind of got connected with the Northern Alliance, which is a, uh, which was the like they were holding on to the last part of um, of Afghanistan from the Taliban, not quite overrun. They were uh, being run by uh, Ahmad Shah Massoud and then the General Dostum, who was uh, one of the warlords there, which is a just a fascinating story about him too. But we put guys in there, and it was uh, it was so you know, I'm going to get Al Mack uh, on this show. I'm going to interview him. I'll see him in a couple days. Uh, he was one of the pilots for TF160 that flew in there, and that story is incredible. Just uh, flying at altitudes that uh, they'd never done before. Uh, the Green Berets going in, obviously brave, and the agency guys going in there uh, d- didn't. The, the Northern Alliance the, the, when they when they went in there, they weren't actually even sure what they were getting into because it was a mix of people. It was uh, Tajiks, Hazaras. Uzbeks, uh, some some Pashtun, uh, just a group of guys that didn't even necessarily like each other, considered each other different parts of the food chain, and it was just a completely different, um, completely different society of what you're getting into. But after 9/11, you need to get in there. And um, I had one guy tell me that uh, when we landed and got out, so all of a sudden you're just in northern Afghanistan, which is a different planet, and you're and, and there's all these dudes that you can't tell. What side you're on? The, the best way he put it to me is like, well, I didn't know if these guys were going to fight on our side or I was just going to get butt fucked to death. Didn't know what was happening, but uh, the story of how they got in there and um, they were using their air support in conjunction with 19th century horse raids, like that's how they fought. And you're trying to coordinate the big bombs and and some of the SF guys that went in there first didn't they didn't bring Air Force combat controllers because they. They figured they could handle the um, the air control themselves, which they can. But uh, you you kind of want to have a subject matter expert, which eventually they did. But they're working like with this guy. Uh, he they call them General Dostum, which um, I don't know how you get to be a general there. But uh, you know he's a he's a he's a dude that understood fighting, and he uh, he got along with the the senior dude there. I think was a captain, uh, Green Beret, and um, they got along well. And once they realized what the um, 
what the uh, air support could do and how they could win. Uh, they they would you know obviously they're going to win. They're, if they're you're fighting Toyota trucks with a B fifty two, you're probably going to win the fight to the point where like these dudes would um, talk to each other on the radio, the Taliban and the Northern Alliance, as they're fighting and talk shit. And I guess they had a um, they had a female pilot that was flying one of the birds off the carrier. I guess and uh, Dostum asked, uh, "You have you have a, a female up there?" and and they uh, he asked her uh, if she knew any, he asked her asked her if she knows any poetry and I guess she didn't know any poetry and he goes well can you sing a song and I guess she sang like anchors away or something she knew from the academy and so he played it to the Taliban as she's bombing him and she was singing or some shit saying the the Americans are so tough they send their women to kill you which I think is just awesome <laughs> so cool up there singing and dropping bombs on people uh, right after nine eleven and then. Um, the story that I, I I'm going to get into more detail with some of this in a in a later episode because I think the whole thing the way it started was great and the way that they won it was great but then you got this captain who's dealing with this uh, this uh, Northern Alliance general and they're realizing that these people aren't they're not they don't act like us their culture's not the same as ours and then, but then they start like but he got comfortable Dostum got comfortable with this captain and then all of a sudden they send a major in or like a lieutenant colonel because you got to get another officer in there cuz that's how we win wars so he came in and all of a sudden this dude shows up who's like well I'm in charge now so you report to me and like Dostum's kind of like what this what's this I have a report with him and then they send in a two star uh, admiral a seal and now you report to me and you can slowly see people trying to get their chains of command in order, and we have to be the footprint. And then you can't talk to the press, but this guy can talk to the press because the press were there. We'll talk to him. I want to be the face of the victory, these senior officers. And it just starts to crumble right there. We're, we're, uh, we're already starting to go the wrong way about it. When you have guys on the ground that are already doing a fine job, let them let them eat. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of how it went to the – I guess they were doing resupplies too, like um, – you bring a bunch of money with you, right? And and you can you can you can buy loyalty in a lot of these places. And so on resupplies, like they put like three million bucks on a on a um, on a pallet and with other stuff. And they would like I guess one of the uh, Afghans, I think Dostum actually requested vodka, even though you're not supposed to drink. He wasn't that religious, so they brought vodka. And then as a joke, one of the guys uh, said, uh, "Send condoms too." Just joking, but they did. So on the resupply, there were condoms, and, and the uh, some of the Afghan guys, the Northern Alliance guys, the fighters, were asking, what are these things? And one of the uh, SF guys report, um, told him what a condom was for. It's like you put it on, and then you don't have kids, and they couldn't wrap their mind around that. Like, why would you ever do that? Why would you want to do that? That doesn't make any sense. And he's trying to explain what a condom is to these people that don't... I mean, these people don't even know how big the moon is. They don't realize it's a planet or a moon, whatever, that we put people on it because the moon's small. It's this big. Um, And to the point where it was almost insulting to them. Uh, So he said, I'm kidding. I'm sorry I played that joke on you. These are to put on the end of your rifle so that you don't get mud and dirt in them because why would you ever put a a condom on? Which, you know, and so you're you're starting to realize the... They're they're not necessarily like us. These they're just they're they're different uh, different people from different cultures with different beliefs and some stuff they they don't even know is real. There was a there was a story um, where one of the agency guys briefed the village elders about what they were what they were doing, why we're here, and they, he and he spoke the language. One of these agency guys, I like guess, spoke uh, one of their languages. And after an hour, one of the elders and you you know you look up to your elders because these are the, these are the smart people. And he goes, uh, so where are you from? 
And he, he's like, I just explained to you for an hour I'm from the United States and why we're here. And he goes, well, what's the United States? And he explained, um, he explained uh, the World Trade Center. The two buildings were hit by planes, and that's why we're here to get these. And he didn't know what the World Trade Center was. So he, he said, well, who's your village elder? And he goes, it's George W. Bush is the president, so I guess he's my elder. Never heard of him. And he started explaining to him um, George Washington, and the guy never heard of it, didn't know what it was. Uh, he said, well, we're on the other side of the ocean from you, and he didn't know what an ocean was. And uh, he goes, the United States, how, um, is that east or west of Herat? And he goes, I guess it's west. And the, the old man was like, okay, that's good enough. Like his, his scope of life was Herat. That's as far as you can go. That's a city that's over there. Uh, a city, if you will, right? Um, that, yeah, that, that's all this dude knew. And that's, that's what they're, they're getting into, the, the realization these, these people don't think like us, so we need, to th- we need to be not necessarily culturally sensitive, but we need to realize what we're getting into. And we're not just going to win right away, but the, the story that I heard um, from a guy that was there was at the, the prison uprising near the town of Majari Sharif, which is a holy city uh, in Afghanistan. But there's a prison, prison there called Kali Ijangi. And what had happened, this is a big prison, it looked like a big, it's almost a Pentagon-shaped prison. And uh, there was some negotiation between a Taliban leader and Dostum about how you, you, know, you, you give up, you surrender, and we're, all we're going to do is we're going to take the, uh, the Arabs. We're going to take the foreign fighters. We're not necessarily interested in, uh, in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan is a place where you don't even necessarily, like, you don't necessarily even surrender. You kind of just go home, and they let you go home, or you switch sides. Uh, uh, they let you keep your guns and shit. And um, so there was a negotiation with, we're going to bring these dudes into this prison, like 400 dudes, and we're going to separate the Arabs and, and Al-Qaeda, and we're going to give um, give Al-Qaeda to the Americans because that's who we came for and we'll probably let the other guys go. But the issue is they started bringing the, these these terrorists in by the truckload, and they weren't even sure what they were doing. The terrorists. They didn't know they were surrendering. And it's, it's a bunch of these Al Qaeda dudes, like they're like if you're I hope you haven't met an Al Qaeda guy, but like you've never seen hate in someone's eyes like the way they look at you. And so these dudes were there, they they weren't sure what they were doing, and all that they, they didn't even search these guys. They put them in the middle of this prison and they some of them they tied up with um, with their own headdresses that tied their hands behind their backs. They didn't check them. Some guys had guns, some guys had grenades, and there was a big stockpile of weapons in the prison anyway, and all these guys are in there, and there's two CAA guys. Basically, in this, um, they, they, were, they took a calculated risk, like we need to interrogate these dudes because there was rumors of another attack on, the country, on our country. And it, obviously, this is right after 9-11, so tensions are very, very high. So uh, Johnny Mike Spann, one of the guys in there, he's interrogating them, and... Um, like there was, there was all kinds. There was dudes from everywhere. There was obviously Pakistanis. There's guys from Yemen. There's guys from. Uh, there's uh, Chinese uh, Uyghurs are in there. Um, Brits. Like some dude asked him for tea with a British accent, and they're in there uh, interrogating him. Not the safest thing to do. And eventually, again, I, I we'll get into this story later in another episode because it deserves a lot of time. I want to get um, some of these authors that wrote books about it too. The interview, but I talked to some of the guys that were there. And um, I guess one of the dudes pulled a grenade, and he blew himself up. And and uh, there was a house in the middle that was painted pink, and all the Al Qaeda guys ran down there, and they got arms, and um, they ended up killing uh, Johnny Mike Spann. He was the first casualty, uh, first American to die in Afghanistan in the prison. Another agency guy, David Tyson, was there. He allegedly shot it out with them, and he got out. Like, I, I, again, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened inside, but 
fuck, he got out, which is awesome. Um, Johnny Mike's band died. And then the closest people to it were um, Special Boat Service, the SBS from the Brits. And I've worked with a lot, and I have nothing but love for those dudes. Um, and they, they were kind of under the uh, under the thumb, if you will, of the SAS, the Special Air Service, who gets all the credit, and the SBS was kind of like the... Well, the Navy SEAL they, they, uh, of the UK, like they're the bastard child or whatever. But they were close. And these are, these are really, really solid uh, operators. Um, but they showed up. They, there was one dude there named Steph Bass. And he was a Navy SEAL that I worked with. And he had done, we had an exchange program where we would send a Navy SEAL to the UK and they would send an SBS guy. And before 9-11, when I worked with the SBS, they, they knew a shit ton about military operations, urban terrain which is Mount, which they call Fibua, a little trivia for you. They're fighting in built-up areas um, because of Northern Ireland. They had a lot of action up there, so they knew a lot of Mount stuff, so we would train with them. But Steph Bass went over there to, uh, to work with the Brits. Boom, they go to Afghanistan right after 9-11. <clears throat> so the Brits showed up um, with one Navy SEAL, and they're trying to get uh, Johnny Mike Spann out. So they don't know if he's dead. They know he's missing. They're trying to get him. And a big gunfight ensued. Uh, that we'll get into detail later. Um, errant close air support, I guess, with um, calling in bombs, and one of the pilots wanted, because th- the SF guys are there too, pardon me, um, the SF guys wanted uh, uh, to drop bombs on the pink house, which you would think would be an easy target. It's in the middle of the house by itself, but the pilot wanted um, his coordinates too, which you don't really want to do. If you're calling close air support, don't give him your coordinates because pilots are people too, and they can get excited. And if they accidentally put your coordinates instead of the, where they're going to bomb, guess what? It comes to you, and that's what happened there. And then um, the fight that uh, Steph got into, he, the, when he told me, uh, he just said it was uh, – I remember him just almost looking off into the distance like, gents, you've, you've never seen gunfire like this, and it's, it's coming this way. Just complete um, – Gunfire, uh, a wall of gunfire. You can't get up, and it's uh, just horrible. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was like. And he was describing it to us, and uh, like there was a point where he was with one Brit, and um, some of the darkest times in life bring up uh, the darkest humor. And I guess, and I don't know if this is funny or not. It, it was a, a interesting the way he told me. He said he was with a Brit and they're laying down. He's with two Afghans, and they said we're going to get up and charge those machine guns. And uh, I guess they said, go, charge or whatever. And the, the Afghans did. And they stood up and started to run. And they both got shot, immediately cut down. And I guess the Brit looked at Steph and said, hey, Steph, you suppose they'll think we're cunts for not standing up? <laughs> Which, dark humor. And um, eventually they made their way somewhere. Again, this isn't my story. Uh, I'd love to interview Steph. Um, I guess he got to a point where there was a machine gun and he turned it on the Taliban. It was one of their guns. He turned it. He's shooting back at them. And the Brits said, um, the, I, I guess near Majuri Sharif, there's a lot of doves, like the birds, the white birds of peace. And I guess as he was shooting, these doves came down and started circling him. He's going hot on this machine gun, and there's doves over his head. And the Brit looked up and goes, Steph, don't take this the wrong way, mate, but I think we're going to die now, <laughs> which is crazy to think about that. And obviously, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they did eventually get Johnny Mike Spann's body, first casualty, and uh, he died a hero. Um, and then, uh, you know, Steph was awarded, I think, the Navy Cross. They got some, uh, not maybe not the Victorian Cross, but they got something in the UK as well. But that's a hell of a fight. And that was just, uh, it was one of those times where um, we're just in, we're just in uh, a place where we, 
not not these guys. They were fighting, and that's and now I mean the SBS are legendary for that fight. I don't know how many Taliban and Al Qaeda they killed, but uh, you know legendary for what they did there. And I worked with the the uh, SBS a little bit in uh, Kandahar. They were down there operating, just solid solid dudes. Um, but that that was a they, they knew what they were doing there, fighting. But uh, it was it was part of the culture shock that when we got in there, and then just seeing the um, you know just bringing in senior guys to like there were dudes I guess. You got SF guys on horseback, and some officers showed up, and they had like um, pressed uniforms in plastic, or uh, in in plastic, like they're going to wear a dress uniform here. Where, you know, that's a uh, going down the wrong road, I guess, as far as fighting a war in Afghanistan. But that's a that's a hell of a story that I do want to get into. Uh, I am reading more about it. Um, very very uh, interesting stuff that happened there, and then and then what we did later with Dostum because he was a he was a warlord, and we kind of hung him out to dry after that. We. We got what we wanted out of him, and I think he he got some minor uh, spot in the Afghanistan government. We kind of cut him loose, but uh, I'd like to follow up on him. So that's a little bit about the beginning of Afghanistan. I was not a part of that, but the stories are fascinating back when the war was the war. Um, I do want to get, like I said, the pilots on here and talk to some of them, some of the air crew and the guys that flew in uh, uh, in and out. And it's just uh, it's 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 crazy. To, uh, to, to know what people did for the right reasons. And, and like I said last time, that um, when we fought the way we're supposed to, we won. And, uh, and that's what they did there. So if, uh, keep your head down, keep your powder dry, and sometimes you don't stand up in front of a machine gun, and then you're never out of the fight.